Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Friends, hello, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Today, I want to dive into rigidity. So many of our neurodiverse kiddos, especially artistic kids, teens, and young adults, are rigid thinkers, or they have areas that they get stuck and inflexible in. It can be challenging and pretty frustrating as a parent or a mentor to bump up against that rigidity and not be able to influence or get through to our kids, especially on things that they're struggling with or they're blocked on. Rigidity becomes a real issue because it blocks learning and growth and development, and it makes it hard for them to work together and get along with others and can be just a big contributor to dysfunction overall. In psychology, rigidity or mental rigidity refers to an obstinate inability to yield or a refusal to appreciate another person's viewpoint or emotions. And it's characterized by a lack of empathy. This might be where that idea out there comes that neurodiverse or autistic individuals don't have empathy or they can't be empathetic when it's really that the opposite is true. They, they genuinely do care about other people and sometimes are the some of the most caring people, but that inability to be able to understand or appreciate where someone's coming from, it, that it's coming from a developmental, maybe even inexperienced place. So rigidity or mental rigidity also refers to the tendency to perseverate which in this context, it's the inability to change habits and the inability to modify concepts and attitudes once they've been developed. Okay, so this might be where you've got a kid that says, you know, when he's asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, "Um, I want to be an astronaut. And then he's just decided it. And so that's what it is. (laughs) It's just the fact, this is what I want. And that's what it is even though as more information comes in and, and they're actually afraid of heights and they, you know, this isn't really like a great fit for them, you know, but they've rigidly said, I want to be an astronaut. So that's what I'm going to be. Um, that that's where you might see that like come into play. So in a nutshell, rigidity is an unwillingness to be adaptable in outlook, belief, or response. Now that's not easy to parent a child or mentor someone who's unwilling or incapable of adapting well to changes, transitions, or just the inevitable varying circumstances of life. So what do you do when you have a neurodiverse kid, teen, or young adult that is gets so rigid sometimes or a lot of the time? It helps to understand this better if we look at the brain and it the brain processes and consider development. So 
rigidity is often an indicator of a fight-flight-freeze limbic system response state, like the brain trying to keep you from dying state. And when someone is being rigid, it can be a sign that limbic system is triggered and that, that it's running the show. When, when you have rigid thinking, you often see it, it shows up as um, kind of that black and white thinking, all or nothing type thinking. And the reason for that, I think, is it makes sense to the brain. It's kind of an immature way to interpret the world that feels more simple and safe, more concrete and tangible. The brain can grasp onto it's right or it's wrong. And that feels very safe and clear and concise and fits into a box, right? As we mature and develop from experience, we come to understand that life is a rich array of colors. It's full of gray areas and nuance. And gray and nuance are much deeper, more mature concepts. Understanding that two opposing things can both be true at the same time takes development and maturity and experience to get. For example, going from thinking people are either good or bad to realizing that we all have what might be judged as good and bad at the same time. I am a capable, loving, nurturing, amazing mom. And at the same time, I am a hot mess. I make mistakes. I fail all the time. I screw up because I'm human. Both are true and everything in between amazing and a hot mess are there. I'm not just one or the other, but everything in between. Sometimes I'm super amazing. Sometimes I'm super not amazing. Okay. So gray areas and nuance to the brain feel unknown. They feel unclear, confusing, hard to pin down. They seem illogical. It's slippery. Okay. It's, it's gray and nuance can feel downright scary to our brains. Our brains really love things when it's right and wrong, good, bad, all, nothing, nice and clear and neat and tidy. Okay. So, and one of the reasons for this also is that our brains have confirmation bias programming running in the background. So confirmation bias is where our brains want to confirm our thoughts, confirm our beliefs to us. And the reason for this is an, is an evolutionary process that's kept us alive. So our brains love to be right because when you're right, then you're more likely to stay alive. Okay. And when our, when we're right, we get to feel affirmed and confident and smart and righteous and safe. Okay. But when we're wrong, it could mean death if you're wrong. And our brain would have failed at its job of keeping us alive. So our brains hate to be wrong. And when we are wrong, it, we often, it just feels shameful and scary and stupid. We feel like we think we're stupid and it's embarrassing. We just, it feels very unsafe to the brain to be wrong. So extremes in thinking or rigidly holding on to set thinking kind of gives us this understandable yet false impression 
of safety and protection against being proven wrong or having to experience uncomfortable emotions like shame. Rigidity and extremes in thinking or having to always be right and safe don't serve us well when it blocks us from seeing and learning from nuance, learning from mistakes, receiving feedback, opening up to new ideas or things that might be really helpful, being able to see both sides and angles to something. So you can see why and just understand that when there's rigid thinking popping up, that black and white, all or nothing kind of thinking, it's the brain's attempt at making sense of the world and being wanting to be safe, wanting to be right. This is how the brain works. And it's it takes development to move past that. So what do you do when you are parenting someone that is stuck in rigid thinking? Okay, because it can really be challenging when you're trying to help them. You're trying to teach them and show them, but they won't bend. They won't open up. They won't try new things. What do you do? I encourage you to try what I do. And this is what I recommend is you do what I like to call the okay test. Am I okay? Are they okay? Am I feeling safe, secure, and confident? And are they feeling safe and secure? This is so important to understand. You both need to be in that okay space to get anywhere. If either of you are in that limbic lower brain, fight, flight, freeze, protective, I'm going to die space, not much learning or discussion can occur. You want to get to an okay space before you try to engage and explore areas of rigidity. And if I'm upset about my child's rigidity and I'm in fight, flight, freeze mode, they're going to sense that, right? They're going to sense my anxiety and think, oh, there's something to be anxious about here. Um, I need to protect, protect myself from this. And then they're going to go into fight, flight, freeze mode with me. It's so important to understand that when you approach as a parent or mentor with emotions like worry and frustration, annoyance, or anger, it's a high probability of setting off their limbic fight mode, you know, fight, fight, freeze response. And then they're likely to even dig their heels in more around the area that they're being rigid with. Okay. Because their brain is trying to keep them safe and right. If you try to argue and prove you're right and prove that they're wrong, their brain is going to kick into confirmation bias mode. And it's just going to be looking for more information for why they're safely right. So I find that curiosity and compassion are really great emotions to go in with that disarm that fight, flight, freeze response. Being nurtured feels safe. Being cared for feels safe. So when we go in and we seek to understand their thinking with curiosity and compassion and not just try to jump in and change their mind and fix them and fix the problem, okay, it, it's so much easier to establish connection. Safety needs to be established before you can offer different ways to think or do something or nudge someone to try something new or different, right? So when, we f when they feel safe, then they can open up to new perspectives to consider. 
then they can open up to maybe even being the dreaded wrong about something. And when we teach and and create an environment where we understand that being wrong about things, especially the things that are keeping us stuck, is actually the best news ever. When you figure out something that you're wrong around and being stuck on and you realize that you're wrong and, and that there's a different way that like, oh, like this just opens up a whole new thing. But we have to feel safe before we can see that. It's okay to be wrong. It doesn't mean death or that you're bad. Being wrong is a natural part of learning and growth and developing. When we bump up against rigidity, it's common to react to that rigidity with our own rigidity and mirror it. Our own lower brain limbic system can get triggered because we go into, oh no, this is bad. Something has gone wrong here. What if, and then all the possible terrible what ifs start spinning in our mind, right? And then our brains often go into black or white, all or nothing, catastrophic thinking. My child won't try any other food than than chicken nuggets. Oh no, he's going to die. Like he's going to be unhealthy and have problems and this is bad. And we go into that catastrophic place, right? So I encourage you to notice when and where you tend to be rigid or drop into that all or nothing type thinking. Where are you unwilling or refusing to appreciate your child's point of view? We want our kids to appreciate and hear our point of view. Where are we being unwilling to first listen to theirs? And I want you to notice when you're in that space, how does it feel? It feels to me disconnected, blocked, tight, anxious. Um, Just know that when we're in that space, it's our brain's attempt to protect us from danger or problems. It can become a habit and a go-to response that ends up giving us the opposite of what we want in our parenting experience, or at least what I want, love and connection when I'm parenting or when I'm mentoring someone. So consider how you may be making your son or daughter's rigidity a catastrophic problem for you, right? And I encourage you to open up and consider the possibility that it isn't really a problem. Rigidity can be an indicator that someone doesn't feel safe, okay? Rigidity is an attempt to cope. Rigidity is an attempt to make sense of the world and when I observe rigidity in neurodiverse young people, I like to think of it as useful information to better understand where they might be at developmentally. And when we model and create an environment where it's safe to make mistakes, um, there's no shame in being wrong. It's okay to not have all the answers. We create an environment where they feel safer to open up to new and different and be a little more flexible. I've actually seen some of our most rigid young adult students at Techie for Life become less and less rigid over time as they feel safe and they're getting their social and emotional needs met and they trust us and and feel connected. They feel safe to, to open up and consider and try and look at things from a new perspective. So I help I hope this helps you have a little more compassion for those moments when our kiddos are being rigid. rigid. And 
know that this really is this, this response of trying to stay safe and be okay in the world. And if you remember to do that okay test, am I okay? Are they okay? Before we try to engage and have influence, like really go in with curiosity and compassion to help them get to that okay place. Over time, you're going to be able to, to help them feel safe to see the gray areas and explore the gray areas and, and explore new things and try and see and experience um, new and different, which can feel scary. And then at the same time, if we're willing to look at where we're being rigid, we're going to be much better at being able to mentor and help them when they're rigid. So I hope this was helpful today, and I hope this gives you some understanding of what where rigidity might be coming from, and it is something that we can work through and make progress around. That's what I have for you today on rigidity, and I hope you have an amazing week, and take care. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. com.